Hello and welcome to another Expert Insights show. Each show, your host Donna Hansen interviews an expert on the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on productivity, performance and profit both in business and personally. And now, here's your host, Donna Hansen. Hello and welcome to the Expert Insights Show. I'm Donna Hansen. In this Expert Insights Show, we speak with Karen Schneider of Concordia Consulting. But before we meet Karen, let me tell you a little bit about her. Karen has a Master's in Organisational Development from John Hopkins University and an undergraduate degree in Psychology from the University of Virginia. Her clients include NASA, US Patent and Trademark Office, and the University of Chicago. Karen and her team deliver a range of programs that deliver bottom line results. And today, we're going to speak with Karen about how burning silos eliminates divisions and enables your team to work cohesively and increase productivity. Hi, Karen, how are you today? I'm great, and I'm so glad to be here, Donna. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation uh, today, Karen. Um, Let's just kick it right off. One one of the things I hear regularly from clients is uh, we need help with a document or a spreadsheet. The person who used to do the work has now left the organisation and no one knows how to do this. I call it a technology silo. Do you see that regularly in the US, and how does it present itself from your perspective? Oh, I, I, I certainly see it. Um, you know, technology, people hold the technology. They, they've produced the report or they've known how to update the website or they know how to use um, a particular, for instance, in your case, your, your podcast. And only one person knows how to do it. And when that person leaves the organization or even when they're sick or on vacation, it leaves an enormous gaping hole for the rest of the organization. So go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) So, so I do see it and we talk about cross training, uh, but never do we realize how important cross training is until, until it is. Mm. It's a bit like backing up your computer. I know, um, you know, everybody will have a home computer these days. Um, and it's not so much of an issue in a business environment because all that stuff's handled by IT. But a lot of people don't think about backing up their computer. And it's a bit like, um, uh, you know, your computer goes down and you think, oh, it won't happen to me. It always happens to somebody else. But it's not until it happens to you that you really realize the pain and the benefit of that. Um, and I guess the other analogy is like insurance, isn't it? It's, well, it's exactly like insurance, and I think your point is well taken in that people think it won't ever happen to them. But the reality is, we, even if we're very, very healthy people, we know at some point we are going to get sick and miss some work. Mm-hmm. We know, for instance, that even if a person is very loyal to their organization, they are going to at some point decide to leave and go to a different position or a different job. Mm-hmm. It's extremely rare that those transitions um, are are planned and have, people have all the time it takes to train the new person. Um, much more often when someone leaves a job, they leave it before the new person starts or before the new person is hired. And there's a scramble to learn uh, everything that that person was doing and, and contributing. So, yes, I do see technology silos 
um, like crazy. And then, of course, we're talking about the positive technology silos. There's some negative technology silos. And that's when a person in an organization knows how to do something and knows how important it is to the organization and doesn't want to share the information, mm. doesn't want to show teach someone else how to do it because they feel that if they have um, this expertise, that gives them a lot of control and a lot of power. And in fact, it actually does. Mm. Mm. I guess it dates back a little to the, I, I can never remember the ages, is it the industrial age where uh, management led by saying this is what you will do and people just followed and so there was a lot of if I have my intellectual capital to do with the business in my own mind then I can't be replaced and, and like you said when somebody leaves they often leave before a new person is appointed or a new person's onboarded and then the person who comes in, aside from having to understand the organisational culture, processes, etc., they're trying to pick up the pieces where it, I guess it may be like the metaphorical jigsaw puzzle where um, you're hoping that the thousand pieces are there, but it's not until you try to put it all together that sometimes you realise one or two of the key pieces are missing, which means you, you know, you're know you having to sort of reinvent the wheel. I think that's a great analogy. And I also think, Donna, that um, one of the things that many of our tech companies do very, very well in the U.S., and, and I'm sure that they, the tech companies do this well worldwide, is they document their procedures. Mm. They know the importance of, of this intellectual um, capital, and so much of what they do is documented, just as an emergency room doctor would document what she or he is, what they are doing. Um, they document. And so where I see the technology silos for the most part are not in the high tech field, but in the day-to-day -day, um, arena of organizations, perhaps in retail or pharmaceutical companies, where there are only one or two IT professionals in that organization. And first of all, they don't have as many people to hand off their, their work to. And secondly, they're not as... Um, disciplined about documenting their steps. Yeah, yeah, and certainly even in, like, I see it regularly in any team I work with, so a finance team, a HR team, you know, a sales team, there's usually a go-to person in that group where somebody is seen as the, um, and I use the air quotation fingers, uh, the expert in Excel or the expert in proposals or the expert in templates, and they're the person that everybody goes to as um, for help. You know, either that or Google. And I always say to clients that the downside of Google is somebody finds an answer and then they come back and continue working. And if somebody needed the answer to that question, they're going to, somebody else would do exactly the same thing. So wouldn't it be better if we all shared the information? Uh, but that's getting on a little bit further about some some different ideas. So it's good to know that that you're seeing it too, and not necessarily um, like I relate it back to a technology silo where people understand processes and expertise within their organisation. But um, it's good to know that you see that too, and that it is a global thing. Well, or either good to know or bad to know. But yes, we share bad habits. <laughs> it's we don't I guess. Keep it 
I guess it's good to know because when you know uh, that there's uh, something exists, it's easier to work out whether it's a positive or a negative and what you need to do about it. But when you don't see it there, you can be blindsided when something comes up and sort of hits you in the face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So cross-training tra- cross is an important thing, as you said. Um, so, so I guess that answers the next question I had, which is why is it important that organisations burn the silos? So I imagine uh, that links back to, um, you know, it, it, by burning the silos, it's almost like an insurance policy to ensure that the capability stays, um, stays in-house, even if the physical elements of it depart. Well, it's so funny to hear you use the words burn the silos with insurance because usually we don't think about burning things when we think <laughs> about insurance. But but despite that, um, one of the things that I think is important is that, again, um, anything that's worth doing is worth someone else in the organization knowing how to do. Mm. So one of the questions I ask my clients is when they tell me, that, you know, no, no one else knows how to do this. Um, and if I say, you know, why is that? How come? And if the answer is, you know, no one else needs to do it, that makes me curious that perhaps it's not something that's vital to the organization. Um, and then why are you doing it? Um, I mean, if it's a nice to have activity, should a little bit of further investigation take place to determine whether it's really necessary for the organization to do it? Absolutely. Whatever that is. And, and in fact, it, that, um, uh, you know, it might just be a, this is the way we've always done it sort of approach and uh, people are to, um, haven't had the time to be able to reflect and work out whether it is still contributing to an outcome or whether it's just um, a superfluous task. That's, that's exactly right. And Donna, earlier when we spoke, you asked me the question, um, what are the signs that, that the organization has silos? And mm-hmm. I think this, that's a fabulous question. Um, and some of those signs are, first of all, when you see um, people working all day without collaborating, um, when, when people can go off and work remotely, and not engage with a chat room or email or phone. Um, remotely by itself is, does not mean a silo. You can be very connected and work remotely. Um, and you can also be working right beside someone and be very disconnected and have a silo. So physical space really doesn't have, an, have much to do with it. Um, however, how much, how much chatting is going on? Is there, is, is there a chat room? How much are people sh- using the share drive? Are people using email? Whatever, whatever communication vehicle that is appropriate, is it being used? And it might even be the telephone or meetings. Um, another indication that there are silos. Um, if no one knows what so-and-so does, if no one knows what Zaire does, then Zaire either isn't doing any work or isn't sharing any of the work. Mm. Because when people are sharing the, the work, we know what they do. We see the results, we're talking about it. Uh, I'll give you an example. In, in an organization I belong to, and in fact in the organization we both belong to, National Speakers Association, 
Um, in our, our local chapter, one of one of my colleagues is working very hard at at uh, creating a new website. If she were doing it as a silo, we wouldn't know what she was doing. But she's very much she's very much collaborating, and we're getting all these emails and we're getting meeting notices and she's updating us and she's telling us why she's doing what she's doing. And I am not going to say that if she were not able to continue the project that we could immediately pick up where she left off because that would not be true, but we could, we'd have a clue. We know where to start. And it, it, all of her research and work to date would not, would not be lost. Mm. So, so, you know, we don't want to over-meeting people. People do get meeting fatigue, and they definitely get email fatigue. And um, But certainly using chat room and forming peers, if we don't know what somebody's doing, they're, not collab- they're either not, not working or they're not collaborating and sharing. So there's an interesting thing. You mentioned multiple modes of connecting uh, within an organisation. One of the big things I say is um, whilst we do have multiple modes, it's really good to have consistency. So if you are going to use multiple modes, the importance is that everybody knows which mode's the right mode to use for what purpose. Oh, I could not agree with you more. (laughs) I laugh about that just in terms of my own small business and my own life, I can hear from somebody, for instance, from you, I can get an invitation through Facebook, through Zoom, through email, through text, through Slack. I can get a card in the mail. I can get a call to my business line. I can get a call to my personal, my my cell line. And um, I'm sure I've left a few off. (laughs) And it's, and for all of us, it's extremely difficult to manage all those multiple modes of communication. And so, you know, I, I have to say, I'm not always real up to date on checking. And I, 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 my snail mail now can, can, it can take me a week to 10 days before I notice what's come in the snail mail. Um, it's hard for me to check both my business and personal messages every single day. I even have three different messaging apps that I use regularly because I have three different people who who message me in different ways using different types of messaging apps. And I want to respond to all of them. This is no different this is no different in an organization. Um, people should not there, there should be, we definitely should know how we're going to communicate an invitation to a meeting, how we're going to solve a, a, a workplace problem. We should know when we're going to meet physically, when we're going to meet through a chat room. Um, there's so many different ways, but the organization should try to provide some guidance around that topic. I do a regular seminar program on taming the email drag that that program one of the things I say and people laugh about it is no one was born knowing how to no one was born knowing how to effectively manage email Mm. no one no one was born knowing who to cc 
who to blind CC, how how to respond, how to respond all. None of us knew that. That's that's not an hate thing. So how do we learn it? We learn it one of two ways. Either from the first organization we worked at, we learn it that way, or we learn it from um, we learn it because we're explicitly taught some some good standards, some best practices regarding email. And believe me, your organization will function a lot better if everybody is taught best pra- email best practices. Absolutely, that's, that's going. Um, and it's it doesn't take long, but um, but it's a useful. It's a useful thing for folks to learn and, and listen to technology. So here's here's a technology issue. Um, remembering to turn everything off so my focus and attention can be on this call with you. As you can as you heard the bleeping and um, it doesn't take long to turn things off, but but we need a mechanism to remind us before we start one meeting, turn everything else off. Mm-hmm. What what um uh, do you do you think that some of the um the challenges around organisational cyclos are, are generationally driven? Or like, are you seeing it, it looking different from a uh, from a you know a baby boomer to a Gen X to a Gen Y to the millennials coming through? Does it look different, or has, has it just broadened in what it look like looks like because of technology and all the different communication channels? Well, I, I do think there are some generational differences. However, um, I think more likely there are um, organization di- organizational differences as well as industry differences. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, once, once again, I'll cite the high-tech uh, industry. They make such great use of online platforms to communicate. And they know how to keep them brief and how to track them and how to be able to search for them. Some of the other organizations I work for are not as um, savvy. They don't have those platforms. And they end up resorting to email when they would be, you know, uh, be so much better off with a more a easier platform, a, a platform made for it. I work in one organization where literally... Uh, when folks are trying to say, do you want to go, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. Do you want me to get anything for you? That's done by email because they don't have another organizational wide platform to, to do that type of communication. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And can you, that's, that's rough on your um, server or email provider. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Karen, what do you think are some of the signs uh, sorry, what do you think is the cost of not breaking down those silos? Because we've talked about the well, signs. Well, you know, it's it's a shame that we can't put monetary – well, we probably can, but um, it's expensive. Most of us are in the business of exchanging information. We don't make – very few of us make widgets anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us do create tangible items that are sold and reproduced and and marketed. However, most of us in this day and age are selling our intellectual property and our ability to communicate it. So if we hold intellectual information, like how to do something technological, 
and we don't share it, it's it's like stealing from our organization. Uh. It's 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 not. I, I, stealing is kind of a harsh word because stealing is um, intentional, and I'm not sure that that this type of holding on to information is always intentional. I don't think it usually is, but when we hold information that's useful to the organization and that we acquired while we were being paid by the organization, that's not really fair or ethical. Mm. Mm. So, I, so there's, there's tremendous cost is the answer. I, I see the cost as being um, impacts on retention. You know, when, when people don't know certain things that they need to know, they can get very stressed and frustrated and disengage. And I know in Australia there's been a lot of statistics released around absenteeism and presenteeism and stress. And stresses, stress and um, depression are getting a lot of um, attention, uh, in particularly in Australia in these, day, these days. And I guess when people don't know how to do things properly because either A, they're not shown or taught or there's no mechanism to share knowledge because it's, it's easy to um, learn stuff but it's hard to work out the context, how it applies to your environment. And what ends up happening is people do stuff because that's the way they've always done it but it results in rework so lots of rework i've had accountants that i've worked with in organizations for example where you know they have a spreadsheet that they feed out to different divisions of the business and people make changes to that spreadsheet add in information do all sorts of things and then it comes back to the the accountant who is then responsible for presenting that to a, a management team or a board only to find that you know they've got to spend hours and hours of rework because somebody in um at a lesser pay scale has made changes to it that they either inadvertently did or um, thought it was for the betterment of the spreadsheet well that yes that can certainly happen and and i think we've, we're talking about all the problems that can go wrong with technology i also want to cite some of the the fabulous things that can happen yep um i was involved recently at a um a fundraiser i was co-chair of a fundraising event and with the technology of Google Spreadsheets, um, four of us were able, well, way more than four, about 15 of us were able to track donations. Who had called, what calls had been made, what had been um, offered, what had been received, had the flyer been made, had it been put in the program. Any one of us at any time could pull up that document and get real-time information without calling each other, without emailing each other. Um, and that that document not only was incredibly helpful for putting together an amazingly compl complicated um, day, but it also is now available for next year. We didn't have much debriefing to have because it exists already. It's there. Next mm. year, all they have to do is pull up that document and hit repeat. Um, I can give you another example where technology has been incredibly effective. I'm, I'm in the process of putting the final touches on a book that, that I've been writing on relationship consulting. And I, it's been so delightful to have numerous readers 
you read it as a Google Doc and make suggestions. And a dialogue sort of ensues where one person says, do you think this would sound better? And another person says, I think that would sound better. Um, use Google Docs. I use Google Docs today for that. I also use Google Docs for um, for a proposal, uh, not a proposal, uh, a year-end report that I was doing. I was able to work on it at the same time as my virtual assistant was able to make suggestions and another OD consultant I work with in respect was literally adding her her valuable insights as I was typing. Um, oh gosh, I, I'm, I, I can't, I'm, this is just my own experience, but the ability for people to collaborate in real time from different locations, uh, I'm now realizing another way that, that Google Docs was helpful. I was helping my daughter edit a uh, paper for her her college class via uh, Google Docs. Mm. So this collaborative writing, collaborative spreadsheets, um, collective Dropbox, all of these are ways that we can unite workers, families to share uh, documents, writing, financial uh, information with such incredible ease. And mm. I, I would hope that every organization is aware of these tools that are currently free mm -hmm. and um, is making use of them. There are some, I know that lawyers and accountants are careful what they share on these online platforms, but, but they're still able to share. Well, even organisations can have document management systems. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that le leads on to the next question I was going to ask you about any quick tips to start eliminating divisions and enable teams to work together. So any sort of collaborative tools or document management systems that enable you to house um, information more efficiently and effectively, not only from a historical perspective, but also from um, an everyday processing and retrieval perspective, because, you know, I've lost track of the number of um, emails that you see where people forward an edited document around and, and eventually what happens is you end up with three, four or five versions of the same document. None of them are actually the, the current one. That's, that's a enormous problem, um, which speaks again to the benefits of an online document because you can make the, you can accept the suggestions real time or reject them real time or have a discussion about them real time. And the document doesn't get so overwhelming to, to read. Mm. Um, it can be very, very helpful. So any other and quick tips, do you think, on, on how to eliminate divisions and, and get people working cohesively that doesn't rely on technology? Oh, well, yes, but I have one more that does involve technology before we transition to sure, that. Sure. And that is, um, I believe one of the things that organizations benefit from tremendously is coming together and having a roundtable a few times a year, once or twice, it can be over lunch, in which in which the discussion is simply how are what improvements can we be made can be made with our existing systems to use it better mm -hmm. um, I've done that roundtable in several organizations it can last 90 minutes and the list is extremely long and incredibly helpful 
And, and the key words are with existing technology. And the reason that's so important is this is not an opportunity to build a new system. This is simply looking at the systems that currently exist and using them more effectively and efficiently. So leveraging. Ex- leveraging, what, leveraging what's there. And often it's a matter of communicating to all the users how to get the most out of the technology they already have. Mm, mm, absolutely. And I guess one of the things I always think about is none of this is um, this is how you do it and uh, that's all you're ever going to have to do. It's rather a continuing process that requires uh, consistency um, to embed a habit, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, going step by step through the learning process. Mm learning one thing and then getting more familiar with, with that and then learning the next, next step of what the technology will do. And then back to your other question, which is what suggestions do I have for um, burning the silos and working more collaboratively together? Mm-hmm. Um, people have to feel value in working together. And if they don't feel value, they they won't work effectively. They they won't burn the silos. They'll become very territorial. A lot of that has to do with the ability of the most senior leaders of any organization. If they work collaboratively, they will encourage their departments and divisions to work together. If they don't work well together, they won't encourage it. And in some ways, they'll do things that discourage it. Mm. Oh, don't, don't share. So it really gets modeled at the top, like everything else. And um, senior leaders need to be able to go to one another and, and, and model the behavior. Um, And then it will spread throughout the organization, regardless of the size of the organization, and regardless of whether people are working together. Um, They don't need to be in the same physical location either. Mm. So uh, modeling at the top at every level. Absolutely. So um, we're fast running out of time and I know I've got at least one more question that I want to ask you and I know we could probably talk for hours about this topic. What's the single biggest mistake you see organisations make if they try to sort of burn down those silos without sort of creating some foundation or or preparing, um, you know, their organisation in some way? Oh, well, I love that question, Donna. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> so almost every problem with an organization is a, um, is a people problem. So the reason the silo exists is not necessarily because of the technology. It's because the users don't choose to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if, likewise if, if people don't know what's going on on that website example, it's because the person who's heading it up doesn't see the value of involving others. So one of the things that we have to do when we have silos is look at why, why, aren't, why aren't the employees seeing value in collaboration? Is it, is, are they under too much pressure to produce tasks? Um, are they in some ways um, negatively reinforced when they share information? It's it's expensive. Collaboration is time consuming. 
Mm-hmm. So what are the organizational barriers? And every organization has different ones. There's there's no that we could the, the number of possibilities to answer endless. that question is it, it, totally endless. Yep. But we have to explore what what is the benefit of the silo? Are is there someone who's very difficult to work with? So people just go around that person. And that's how the silo starts is when people are very difficult to work with, other people work work around them instead of with them. Mm. So so when we talk about removing technological barriers, we also need to remove the human barriers. So that's that's my Your take on it. My my take on that, yes. Yeah, I, I I love what you say about people not seeing the value. I think one of the things we forget in business is we're there to do a job and people think they just do the job and that's it. But when people see the value or the benefit in working together or what um, what I like to call the what's in it for me. So when people yeah. understand what's in it for me, they're going to engage more. So I know when I'm presenting... You know, I can be presenting concepts that can be quite sophisticated or com- uh, concepts that can be quite simplistic. But when, you, you know, and I'm sure you've seen as well, when you're presenting information to somebody and you just see like a light go off, if that makes sense, a metaphorical light goes off and you can see that somebody's made the connection between a concept that you've presented and the context of where they might use it and how it might add value. And then, then that generates a feeling of... Um, of relief for that person and and excitement that they feel like they're now empowered to to make some changes and feel uh, a bit more in control and I see that as demonstrating the value in the same way as you would if you're trying to sell something or make a buying decision you're trying to look at you know you might have two items that are the same price um, or sorry not two items that appear to be the same on the surface but in actual fact um, one of them uh, delivers a different type of value to the other. It's about uncovering that, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess a lot of this just comes back to um, the big C, communication, the fact that when everybody knows what the rules are, you can play by those rules, but when people don't know what the rules are, they're keeping information to themselves because, you know, that's what they've always done or, uh, you know, that's what their their previous manager um, was like. They encourage them to keep the information to themselves so they never think to share it. People are afraid of um, making mistakes and and you know getting into trouble for sharing something with another team that perhaps they shouldn't have. Absolutely, they they do, and and there are managers who do um, are very territorial, mm. and and you know it's hard to pinpoint their behavior, but over the over a span of time, you find out that they're territorial. Mm. I think that you know communication whether it's technology, folks folks in an organization need to communicate. And when they don't, there's some organizational reason they're not communicating. And uh, technology can make communication so, so much easier or so much more difficult. Absolutely. And I guess un- unless you've got the communication piece work- worked out, it's going to be pretty hard to burn the silos and increase your productivity in your organization. Absolutely, so true. And and again, I think some of the things organizations can do to summarize, um, they can communicate clearly what communicate what what platform should be used 
for the different types of communication. That's one you, you pointed out. Another one is to once, twice, three times a year, have a roundtable and say, how can we better use the technology we have? Where are the breakdowns? And the third is to look at, notice when people are holding on to information that is not productive and um, it hurts the organization incredibly. Absolutely. Well, Karen, we've we've run out of time and you've given us some great, great insights on how burning the silos can increase your own or your organizational productivity. If some of our listeners want to get in contact with you, maybe purchase a webinar for their team, because I believe you have those, or have some of your insights come into their inbox, how's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, I will let them use, remember that I I have all kinds of different ways. Um, <laughs> What's your preference? <laughs> well, my preference is their preference, but I'm going to suggest email, which is Karen, K-A-R-E-N at KarenSnyder.com, K-A-R-E-N-S-N-Y-D-E-R.com. My website is also KarenSnyder.com, and um, on the website is the opportunity for a free consult with a phone number as well as a pop-up. And they can also purchase my book, which is Relationship Consulting, um, The Magical Way to Grow Your Consulting Business. So those are all uh, and and a carrier pigeon also just works fine, you know, <laughs> or or a drone if they have access to one. <laughs> well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing your expertise today. Um, we're really grateful. Listeners, thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights show. For more information on our services, visit the three W's, donnahanson.com.au or the three W's, prime solutions with an S at the end, .net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hanson helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Expert Insights show. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe via the podcast page on www.donnahanson.com.au or through iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn or Stitcher. Until next time, as Donna says, don't forget to work smarter and not harder with technology.